I always want to start these things off by talking about the weather, and it's not just because I'm boring and old, which I most certainly am, both of those things. Um, it's because as a gardener, you know, as like I'm getting this homestead going, the weather's actually become a lot more important to my everyday life. You know, like I even make little notes in my my planner about whether or not there's going to be a freeze because it actually matters. You know, the way things are going, I am definitely moving in the direction of self-sustainability. And if I can grow it, if I can make it, that's great. You know, even like my clothes, the clothes thing is more like, one, I love the way that handmade clothes look. You know, it's like getting a custom fit outfit, um, but for like the cost of some fabric and needle and thread. Uh, So, you know, like, although it's more expensive than fast fashion clothes. It's actually, you know, for a custom-made piece that's actually tailored fit to you, it's a great bargain. Um, Not that I'm great at it, but I'm getting better, okay? Like, I I challenged myself a few years ago where I was like, I am not going to buy any more clothes because I'm not going to support the fast fashion industry. So I'm like, I am not going to buy clothes, all right? If I want new clothes, I'm going to make new clothes. So I I went without new clothes for like a year and a half. I've I've really only just recently started getting back into clothes making, Uh, but I didn't die. It didn't kill me. Not having new clothes all the time is fine, you know? It's 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 actually totally fine. But as a side note, it actually is really a beautiful day and I'm feeling great and things are great and, you know, I'm ready to uh, kick today's ass. So let's, let's get, let's get into it. This is Supernatural Movie Machine, where we talk about supernatural movies. I am your host, Sasha Keo. You can follow me on Instagram at Sasha.Keo. You can follow me on Twitter at Sasha underscore Keo. But you can also find much more content at SashaKeo.com, where I post blogs and updates about what I'm doing as an indie author. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening in. Today, we are reviewing horror film Puka. Now, Puka is arguably a creature feature, but also maybe just a psychological thriller. So, like, the supernatural element is all about your interpretation, um, but I am choosing to interpret some supernatural stuff into this kind of creature feature psychological horror flick, all right? That's what we're doing today. That That's what it is, because I want to talk about Puka. So I ended up watching Puka with my husband this past Christmas time, this past year. Uh, my intention was to find a Christmas themed horror movie to put on while we decorated our Christmas tree. Uh, specifically like a bad slasher type movie, like, you know, cheery gore stuff. But I let my husband pick the movie and he failed at this. What we ended up watching was Puka. And no, we didn't decorate the Christmas tree because we were too entranced. Because I don't keep up with shit, I didn't know that Puka was an entry in the Hulu original series Into the Dark, a collection of 12 holiday horror episodes. Puka is the 2018 Christmas entry, and its sequel, Puka Lives, manages to squeeze itself into the 2020 Easter slot. And I'm gonna talk about Puka Lives uh, a little bit in this one, but like a whole separate thing because it needs its own thing. Puka has a dreamy quality that draws you in with the tension of a rope of Christmas lights pulled tightly around your throat. It's beautiful and startling and subtly sinister, and though it lags sometime around the reveal, once the curtain is drawn back, I'm a Puka fan. Oh, and the Puka jingle is super catchy. Puka 
Here's the official synopsis. A struggling actor takes on a seasonal holiday job as the mascot for the year's hottest new toy, Puka. However, after putting the costume on, he develops two personalities, one for himself and one for Puka. The tagline is, This Christmas, do you fear what I fear? They didn't sing it though, it's just, do you fear what I fear? Here's the metaphor that's the driving force behind Puka. It's the self-centered nature of an abusive parent and or spouse. So let's talk about the Puka creature itself a little bit. If you didn't know, a Puka is a Celtic mythological creature. Think fairy. A 1950 black and white film starring James Stewart called Harvey is the only other ready film reference I have for what a Puka is. A sort of mischievous, shape-shifting spirit that can only be seen by those who believe in him. Uh, Harvey is a warm, whimsical caper in which the titular Harvey, the puka, is never directly seen by the audience. Uh, the only time we get a peek at him, really, is in a portrait where he's shown as the six-foot rabbit that he is, and we're all the better for it. 10 out of 10, I would definitely watch Harvey again and would definitely recommend it. That's a mini-review for you. When it comes to this puka, I'm not sure if it's a proper creature feature or not, as the audience knows going in that it's a man in a fursuit, uh, albeit with supernatural qualities as indicated by the camera work, genre, and music. The point is that the real monster is the person inside. If a serial killer dresses up as a clown, it's not really the clown archetype that's doing the murders, right? Moving on. The Puka is a six-foot-tall Furby-esque mascot suit with bunny ears, a frozen expression, and two large headlight eyes that flash either blue or red. Blue indicates the nice Puka, and red signals that the Puka will be naughty. It's said that not even Santa knows if Puka is going to be naughty or nice. There's something quite eerie about our protagonist slipping on this suit disappearing into the puka as the fuzzy head settles down over his own. It's the way the camera pulls back and forces the audience to look into the puka's eyes and recognize that puka is the focus now. The person inside is no more, and we have no idea what it'll do next. So here's the plot of puka. A struggling actor, our protagonist, the shy Wilson Close, lands a job as the one and only mascot of what turns out to be the hottest toy to drop on the market right before Christmas. The Puka is all the rage, and all Wilson has to do is appear as Puka at a designated toy store. There is a Puka dance, arms up, together like a triangle, out like an offering, then fly like a plane. And then there's the theme song. Uh, me and kids absolutely love it, and Puka is the must-have toy of the year. Uh, mirroring much the Furby fanaticism of the 1990s. Um, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with that, but it was like unexpectedly super popular. Like they didn't think that kids would like Furbies as much as they did, but they did. And Furbies were like sold out everywhere because everyone really underestimated their popularity and the demand that there would be for them. So think of Puka in this universe like Furby is in ours, except this movie is like Furby meets Donnie Darko, but we'll get to that. So 
Puka is the must-have toy of the year. This success gives Wilson the opportunity and the confidence to approach Melanie, a single mother who he'd spotted at a Christmas tree sale with her young son. His neighbor is an older woman with flair who lives alone. She's his first friend in the story and tells him that this is his moment. He appreciates her, his new boss, and his new girlfriend for the company that they've given him because before he'd seemed so alone. Then there's Puka. There are many great transitions in this film, not just scene transitions, but tone. When Wilson first puts on the Puka suit alone, something shifts that we can't see in the Puka's expression. Its eyes go red and suddenly he's trashing the apartment. But then Wilson walks in, like almost right into the scene, to find the destruction. He has no recollection of being in the suit. Later on, he's visiting with his neighbor and he hears pounding coming from his apartment. He excuses himself and like full of dread returns to his apartment to find that it's his own hands that are bloody. Even though it was Puka we saw punching the walls. Wilson ignores all of these things, these huge flashing red lights and red flags. He continues to pursue a relationship with Melanie and goes as far as to promise that Puka will arrive at her son's birthday party. Keep in mind, there's only one Puka, like he's it. And here's where I have to talk about the score. There's an unsettling quality that permeates Puka. At times it's hard to put your finger on but as the story progresses, you might realize that every frame of calm between the scenes of sudden violence is woven with a dreamy, placating lullaby. The scene transitions are interesting and almost abstract. The space between each character tense and then the music carries that tension quietly over its sometimes slow, waltzing pace. It becomes a mental game of musical chairs. What's going to happen when the music cuts out? I don't usually notice scores in films, I'm just not that person. But Bear McCreary added such a subtle dread to Puka that even scenes where nothing ended up happening had me looking through my fingers. So we're gonna get into some spoilers. Um, I really enjoyed this one, so if you're even a little bit interested, I'd say go give it a watch and then come back and finish. Um, I love a tight little script where everything that's set up has a payoff, uh, like Die Hard. You set them up, you knock them down. Puka has that quality. I will say that there are a few elements that are introduced that end up being red herrings, but good red herrings. Things that make you think, oh, maybe that's what this is. And yeah, you are completely wrong, but it made you invest in the story to find out what the hell is going on. Not to mention that Hulu's Puka sequel absolutely crushes it with a meta take on all those red herrings, literally giving the internet what it wanted out of Puka. Back to the story. When Wilson is auditioning for a role he doesn't yet know is Puka, the monologue he practices is from Dickens. It's when Ebenezer Scrooge sees the ghost of Christmas future and is wondering in horror if there's anything he can do to stop it. Before I draw nearer to that stone to which you point, answer, answer me, me one, one more question. question. Are, are these, these the, the shadows, shadows of things, of things that, that will, that will be, be? Or are they the shadows of things that may be only? Let's get back to that metaphor. Around the turn of the movie, as we're taking towards the climax, there are fewer bouts of unpredictable violence and more scenes of delusional, gory visions that Wilson is having. By this point, everything has begun to fall apart. While at Melanie's son's birthday party, he assaults a kid while dressed as Puka because the kid tells her son, everyone knows about your dad. He afterwards snaps at Melanie and is quickly thrown out of her home. 
the public has turned against Puka as all of the dolls collectively stopped working, repeating on loop a phrase, uh, look at all the pretty lights. His boss asks that he return the Puka suit, which Wilson resists. He tells his boss that he needs to be inside it. The boss tells him that it was always just him all along, that there's nothing special about the suit, and he needs to let it go. Rather than do that, Wilson clings to the suit, going so far as to steal it. He's desperate to reconnect with Melanie and her son, desperate to be Puka again, even when he's being beaten ragged and the head to the suit is stolen. He goes home and finds that his neighbor has died in a falling accident that's blamed on her drinking, but he believes that it was Puka somehow. Puka, this thing that he is and yet isn't. He's still wearing the Puka suit, but he knows that Puka is after him and everything he loves. To protect Melanie and her son, he races to the Christmas tree lot that he'd first seen Melanie in. She and her son were on their way there. Wilson arrives before they do and finds an evil Puka there. Not a suit, a monster. So they battle, him in the Puka suit and the other Puka a twisted mirror of himself. After killing the evil Puka, Wilson returns to Melanie's house to find that she's not there, that she'd never been there. He goes instead to a, a different house, one that she'd been showing as a realtor where he'd first asked her out. She's there as well as her son. It's their house. Wilson sees himself in photos on the wall and that's when we realize that he's the absent father. He's the one everyone knows about. So our Wilson, this redeemed version of himself walking around in a ragged puka suit, is invisible to the family as the real him comes home. He's well-dressed, angry, petty, and violent. He screams at Melanie and destroys the Christmas tree. She's been through this before, we can tell. Her son, with tears on his cheeks, just watches his abusive father. Wilson tells his son not to cry, that they'll go down to the Christmas tree lot right at that moment. They'll get a new tree before they close. So our puka suit Wilson begs them not to listen to the real him. He calls that other Wilson a liar, says that he's only trying to make himself feel better, but they can't hear him. They all get into the car, but not before Melanie tells him firmly that it's the last time and that their marriage is over. So as Wilson is driving, he's watching his wife cuddle his son in the rearview mirror, and there are Christmas lights speeding past, and he is picking up speed. He's seething with anger, despair, and self-pity. Wilson doesn't see that he's driving into oncoming traffic. He regains consciousness, and the audience sees the final puzzle pieces fit together. The lonely neighbor was the woman driving the other car, who dies at the scene. His wife and son are trapped in his car that bursts into flames. He's laid out on the road, red and blue lights flashing around him as two paramedics attend to him. One of the paramedics we knew as his boss, the other paramedic is the man who assaulted him. On the road next to Wilson, also thrown from the car, is his son's puka doll, which repeats endlessly, look at all the pretty lights, the last words Melanie said to their son. Thus, the abuser is unveiled, not to his family, but to the audience and to himself. Unlike Scrooge and Ghost of Christmas Future, he can't do anything to change the fate of everyone around him he's hurt. His puka-clad form looks down on him, resigned to this, as the defeated puka creature stands next to him. It's easy to imagine this dream as a sort of limbo, a concussion slurry of images thrown together to help him come to terms with the person he is. A Donnie Darko kind of ego death, 
where all there is at the end is acceptance. Except there's no second chance to undo the carnage. For a supernatural take, I'd like to believe that the Puka does exist in this universe. Not just as the doll, because his son did have a Puka doll, so that wasn't completely imaginary, but the Puka is there also as a spirit. Not to intervene and change fate, but to show the truth. That's why it's there with him at the end. It was never the evil that needed to be defeated. It also wasn't meant to be hidden behind the way Wilson had tried to do. It's Wilson's eyes that the audience can see in the last shot, transformed, transcended, but not unpunished. So my final thoughts on Puka is Puka was nowhere close to being the dumb, bad Christmas horror that I was hoping for. If you're sitting down for a creature feature or a horror slasher and you get Puka, you might have a bad time. Uh, Puka is an insightful take on the terror of what having an unpredictable, loving, hateful abuser in your life is like. I get why people aren't totally on board, but if you want to watch a good Christmas horror movie that doesn't hold hands with camp, then Puka is totally worth the watch. I will say that I almost made this an in defense of Puka because a lot of people really didn't like this. And I, I think it's it's that expectation, right? You thought it's gonna be like a, you know, straight up monster movie, straight up horror slasher. And it wasn't, it wasn't any of that. It was actually like a, like a good movie. Um, and it has a lot of creature feature elements. So I kind of went the creature feature format instead, because even though people didn't like it, I just feel like it's way too good to be like, well, I need to defend this. I think it speaks for itself if anyone's going to actually watch it. And as far as the Puka like mythology goes, I, I love the Puka mythology. I love the way it's presented in Donnie Darko also. You know, it's like that person is in this transition stage of being between alive and dead dressed up as the six foot rabbit which is definitely like a puka thing so like that puka spirit guide is there in Donnie Darko it's here in puka and it's there in Harvey and they're always so mysterious but not malevolent and it's it's just a it's a great time it's a great myth uh, I really enjoyed it but uh, maybe you didn't and if you didn't tell me why I just if it's not like no I won't qualify that. Just tell me why. Why didn't you like it? And if you did like it, drop by. Let me know that you did. I think it's great. You know, you don't have to. So did you like it? Did you hate it? Do you want to talk to me about it? Whatever. Uh, drop by SashaKeo.com. You will find this as a blog. Uh, feel free to leave any kind of comments there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving me a listen. As always, you can drop by my website. You can follow me on social media. This is Supernatural Movie Machine. I am Sasha Keo, and I will catch you later.